You know, Jose, you touched on a very important point that I see. It's not just, you know, for people in general, but particularly for an entrepreneur, when you switch from immigration looking for artists and you switch to, to business and having that adaptability, um, mm -hmm. depending whatever your situation is, so you can find that direction and keep moving forward. That is it's very crucial for any startup, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah perseverance. I mean, the startup, you end up doing everything in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it's not like many hats, it's every, pretty much every, every hat. Yeah. If you're going to operationalize something, guess who is the first operation that operates? Yeah. You. <laughs> and then th through that, you pass it along, you train others, you give it away. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another piece, right, that, that it's really important uh, as entrepreneurs is also to give that, to give it up mm -hmm. for, for someone else, to make it bigger than yourself and then give it, mm -hmm. passing it along. Yeah. And then that's where the you know that that trust comes in because it is hard to give up your baby that you started from the beginning and then pass it on to someone else to take over. Yeah, and they exactly. they like they will do it their way, which is just their way. It's not your way anymore. So you need to accept that. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it's uh, micromanagement, which it's very easy to fall into. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and to always, for example, the other mistake is like to try to hire. Sometimes we're like, oh, we want to compensate, but we feel so safe in hiring someone that it's like me. Mm. Like we can have a mini me and seven mini me's. Yeah. <laughs> we can do it all great. And mm. That's not the case usually. Yeah. But uh, it's really hard to give it away. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, the importance of diversity on a team, um, where any kind of diversity really um, mm -hmm. is crucial for um, to have a, like a, a well complementary team that can grow right in scale. Yeah, yeah you kind of have to let the thing go on and, and be its its own thing, right? And and you may not be you may be the per person to start it. Yeah, but then it's up to someone else to. I I have I have a, a um a, a name for that, and I've used it with with uh, clients because it, it's something that happens a lot in consulting, mm -hmm. and I call it the Moses syndrome or the Moses effect, and it's like that you you go through the desert forty years, and then you get there, and oh you're not gonna leave there. You're just gonna see it from the other side. Yeah, so you never watch. really go to the promised land. You just see it, watch it from afar. Yeah. And, as, and, and, it, and you're like, but that's big, that kind of thing. And I used to say it because sometimes in consulting it's very similar. You build this huge thing, you present it, there's huge buying. And then even if, even if there's full buying and full implementation, you're still kind of on the sidelines. You're watching them do it what you created right. and it's the same feeling it's very similar um, the other one is you created and then it's uh, the the it, this is the end of my consulting you take it away right or they don't right when uh, you, you talked about you know a couple other businesses I think you mentioned later gator and TikToking, and I know you're involved in a, in a bunch of different businesses are these sort of your own ideas and, and if so where do those come from? Like, how do you kind of hatch those ideas, or huh. do you just kind of see opportunities? I'm always curious of you know why people started something, or you know where did they get that that idea uh, for that? Well, so sometimes, for example, I, I remember as a kid one of the main of the or the the big things I remember as an entrepreneur. What what I looking back um, later, I could see probably that was my first business plan. And it was that out of need, like I saw a need, I was a kid, I was literally eight, eight years old, but which is basically a stage in our lives that were very selfish. So 
the problem that I had was that the fruit stands in Barranquilla, my hometown, I would always go and find the greenest mango because I love green mango. I would eat it like in so many ways and I loved it like a city, like just completely green, green. And there was a few times that I would go and it's like, hey, no, there's no season, there's no green mangoes, they're all ripe. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I'm gonna go to the next one. Hey, you have green mangoes? No, sorry, boy. No, there's nothing. Uh, I, I, I. It, it's the season. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Then I would go to another one. Someone had. So I'm like, there's a problem here, and it needs to be solved. I want mangoes, green mangoes, any time I want. So I, um, all these little uh, fruit stands were all around the city and um, we knew, you know, I knew what type of mango they would sell. We, you're you're yeah. from South America, so you know. Oh, sorry, for, from Portugal, but... No. Uh, no, from Brazil. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. And so you know that there's a lot of kinds of mangoes. Yes. <laughs> right? So, I and we know that the, the oh, types... We have our favorites. <laughs> our favorites, exactly. The, the apple is one of my favorites because even when it's ripe, it's acidic. So then that was a safeguard. I was like, on that one, I can always bet on. Uh, but I would always get mad because it was like, it, someone's lying here, there's a problem that needs to be solved because there's always mango. I mean, it, so I started putting together the numbers to tell my mom basically, you know, if we had a farm and we planted all these mango trees and we planted them in different times, we would maximize the amount of greens basically. And I would have green mangoes all year long. <laughs> Obviously, it was just yeah. about me. <laughs> Uh, but the, but I started making like calculations and numbers and, and all these things and then at the end what I result was like, you know what, we could be selling mangoes, finally the whole process took me to, we could be selling mangoes to all these, these little stands and we would have, make sure that every little stand would have green mangoes <laughs> all the time so that when I come over home or when I've been driven around from uh, the school and the class or something, I could stop in any. And they would have green mango. <laughs> so she would thought, oh, so cute, my little manager. My, my, my grandma said the same. And a little you know that by the time I graduated university, there was, we, we always had within uh, our industrial engineering, multiple steps that we had entrepreneurship initiatives. So first semester you had like one that covered everything just to you get in, in um, just involved in the process, but a lot of those, a lot of the times, there was some that would stay even from first semester. Mm. So one of them I remember is Body Shop. That's still Body Tech is the name. So it's like a gym uh, chain still today. It's huge in Colombia. And Body Tech gym. Yeah. Yeah, they have that in Brazil. It's massive. Exactly. Like in Rio. Exactly, yeah. and that's a Colombian chain. Wow, it's a hell of a gym. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that started in the university, in my mm. university. And then by the time, um, they were like in the middle when I was in the middle, but then mm -hmm. when the, by the time we finished, there was another one that was called Green Mango. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy took basically, instead of like the, the wooden fruit stand, he made them into this plastic or something like the, in the shape of a mango, institutional stuff, put uniform in all these people selling the fruits. And he took in the north coast of Colombia and he created this huge chain of ma green mangoes. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I can't believe it. It's like, like shot. Yeah. It's like, damn. So, so when, when that's usually how we identify a lot of problems, right? And a lot of times can be like personal experience and, and light bulbs 
the ball just boom, there's an idea, and if it triggers that other part that is somewhere here, and I'm pointing at the solar plexus, it really can move you and or move me and, and actually take me to, to do it. So one of the things that would move me during my consulting was this whole uh, predictive modeling and, and forecasting, and, and but more on the futuristic like ambition, what's going to come down the pipeline. Um, with a lot of anthropology, that's one of the things I've always had in, also with me, and analyzing these dynamics through language, through information, through listening, through social monitoring, for example, and all that aggregation to actually identify what is what what needs are out there. I through, saw th through the big data with human yeah, behavior that you look yeah, at. Yeah, exactly. So I um, um, in the app that build apps, it was because I the, the technology cycles go in certain ways, right? So one that I've that we're also today surfing is where I explained how we industrial revolution made us this new human being that has been glorifying society as this machinery, right? The conveying belt. Everything conveying belt. And so the way we shop the way we eat, the way we organize ourselves, is not like I'm going to the neighbor, hey, do you want, or this guy that has, not like the old Agora, mm -hmm. like the old um, Plaza, uh, but more like the supermarket. And you go through the cart and you get your stuff and it's one shopping move and then you fill it up and you get it. But now with technology and we went from personalization to like really, really deep individualization. And we can actually, what we are also demanding from that is actually that I want things right now, right? Like, mm -hmm. and my way with my thing. And and the only way that we could create something like that, it's in, in our case for business, would be white labeling, right? Um, the, but so that they can actually get to that into offering to the final consumer in that same individual and, and at the time, just in time, all perfect, on, when on demand. Mm -hmm. So. That's how I started to put all these pieces together where we have to, it's going to move to such an individual experience that it not only go, should go through white labeling but also take on the other side, the end user, and start learning from it mm -hmm. to actually deliver what they want. Right now, the, one of the things that I, that I always look at is, is Google searches and how they, they, they change. Lately, they've been changing to a demand, a request for personalization to the point that people, that users, probably younger generations, we use, like, the first generations learn how to do searches properly, right? That was the motif. The other one is, like, I don't need to learn anything. They know me enough. Now I order shoes that are beautiful for me. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to put their name. They don't have to put anything. Somehow, they're searching with for me as a commercial intent that it implies Google knows me and they should be delivering the search results, what's appropriate and mm -hmm. perfect for me. And I mean, this conversation, we can have a whole podcast just oh, on that. exactly. Right? <laughs> About, the, yeah, the, the it's also, yeah, like, so, there's a scary side to it, but there's also a great side to it as well, right? But that's the thing. It's scary when you don't control it, when you don't understand it, when you don't know it. Mm -hmm. So when you're creating it, when you're involved with it, when you're uh, making sure, it's actually the responsibility of making sure that this is growing the, pro the way that it's going to, Keep me as a compassionate person. Keep me as as a person that can be still human and not lose mm -hmm. that part. And as a human, as a collective, to actually keep the control the, so that the robots don't come. Again. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. All that huge fear, all those things. 
our uh, lack of understanding or and, and and the only way to contribute to those fears not only from the fact from the from the point of view of the fear itself but making sure that that reality doesn't come a reality mm -hmm. is to actually participate in it and I think that that's one of the things that for sure I'm committing and doing very good, and that's also a perfect note. Uh, thanks again, Jose, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks awesome. a lot. Thank Appreciate you. It. Yeah.